Okay, here we go. All right. Uh, this afternoon, uh, we're privileged to have Dr. Reverend Dr. Ian Bunton to come and be our preacher. Uh, if you don't know already, as mentioned earlier by Pastor Oliver, uh, he is the candidate for to be the new senior pastor of the English congregation here at GBC. And uh, as you will find out, his character and his giftedness and experience uh, uniquely qualifies him for this role. Uh, among the things that he has done, or that he is, is that he has a heart and love for God and for God's word, will, and ways. And that will become very evident to you as he preaches. And uh, he has years of experience as a church planter, both in the United States and in the region. Uh, he has also been a missionary with the Southern Baptist International Mission Board. And so that's where he served here in this region with and under. And uh, he has also uh, spent six years as, a, uh, as an academic. He taught in a seminary. Uh, so he's well versed in all of the uh, kinds of uh, subjects that uh, need to be learned and known. And he is an accomplished preacher as also a proven leader in all the posts that God has given to him. And so I think you really enjoy him, and I think that uh, he is uh, God's man for the hour, and so we are inviting him to come forth and give us the word. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much, Pastor Arnold. It is wonderful to be back in Singapore, and Sherry and I want to express our appreciation to you, extraordinary hospitality. I've had about uh, seven dozen light lunches and um, have gained two kilos. Checked it at the doctor's office. So I'm a competitive eater, but still can't keep up. I, I'm very grateful for your warm welcome, the hospitality. I even got the fruit from a certain mountain. <laughs> it was glorious. Uh, I, Sherry and I are not afraid to boast about the um, extraordinary pastoral care we received while we were, in fact, the worst church members GBC has ever had. We were seldom here, but our pastor, Arnold, continued to track us, write us notes, even when we left, moved uh, from Singapore to uh, Dallas, which was way different for me. Uh, Effie and Pastor Arnold came to visit with us just to comfort our hearts that we were not Republicans and the only people in Texas that didn't have a gun. So <laughs> thank you so much, Pastor Arnold. Thank you, GBC. Um, we came to Singapore uh, with a lot of um, stress in our world, and you were a beautiful place to set our hearts down. And so we're so grateful for your ministry to us. Now, I'm pretty sure we all know what's going on, right? Um, uh, my dear brother Bay, uh, where are you, brother? Just let me see your hand. There you are. He, he uh, Skyped me in Canada, and he said, so we're going to give you a text, huh? Because why, huh? <laughs> we don't want your best sermon. That totally crushed my Singapore stereotype. So I'm totally relaxed right now. This is definitely not my best sermon. And so let's go to God in prayer. Uh, Father God, here we are, your people, hearts, uh, honestly, just full of clutter. We didn't pick it up on purpose. We are just 
stumbling through this broken, this fallen world, and we pick up stuff. Philosophies that didn't come from you. Culture that didn't originate in Christ or the cross. And here we come. Like Isaiah, we want to say, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and we're among a people of unclean lips. So God, will you not purify our hearts? Just cleanse us now. Open up our ears that we can hear, because we don't need to hear a word or opinion from a Canadian preacher. We just need to hear a word from the Almighty. Uh, so God, with all the thoughts that crowd in and crush us, help us to hear your whisper today, we pray. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was delighted to hear about the sermon series Pastor Arnold has been leading you through. Um, I think it is critical for the people of God to know and practice these one another behaviors. Yes, I noticed that. When I stand right here, there's kind of a glow, right? A heavenly glow. <laughs> Sweetie, could you take a picture of that? Because my brother won't believe it. <laughs> um, you know, the issue for GBC is not how can we find God's affection. I mean, theologically, he loves us unconditionally. But the critical issue for GBC and for every expression of the local church, wherever it is gathered, is how do we pursue the pleasure and blessing of God? How do we live and serve in his mission, beneath his power and pleasure. That's the critical issue. And so the first thing I'm delighted to know about this series is in these one another statements, we find the behaviors we can pursue in the presence that will guarantee we have his pleasure today, tomorrow, and forever. That is a, a critical issue. If we're going to be found faithful, it is in these one another statements. And the second thing about these one another statements that I think should be really obvious, uh, we cannot one without the other. I mean, I totally get Singapore is intense, you have a commute, you work long hours, I totally get the fact that you could be at home, cooler aircon, downloading a better message right now, but you cannot one another on your own. God did not design any of us to be spiritual orphans. He designed us for community. You can hear a better message somewhere else. You can sing in the shower or in your house at home. But you cannot practice love and being loved by yourself. That one person hug only works on a lot of medication. It's only in community that we can practice these behaviors that ensure God's favor upon his people. And so this afternoon, we're looking at one of Scripture's most challenging one another statements. And if you have your Bibles, I hope you'll join me. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Galatians chapter 5, 13 and 15. I love to see God's people looking at his word when I'm preaching because my heart needs the accountability of knowing you are reading his word. Beginning in verse 13 of Galatians chapter 5, this is the word of the Lord. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh 
but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now this is one of the most challenging one another statements in all of God's word. And it's challenging for at least two reasons. First, I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your culture, your ethnicity is. I don't care what your educational level is. For every one of us, everything about our culture, everything in my flesh is hostile to this one another statement. Even our own mothers are not hoping that one day their little boy will grow up to serve somebody. Aim for the boss, ma. Why you want to be this serving him, ma? Right? Even our own mothers raise us to hope for one day we will be in charge. And this is secular creep that has started in the business culture. Let me be honest. Started in the culture of my own flesh. And found its way into the culture of the church. So much so that you are right now looking for a pastor to do what? Lead you. Let us find a good leader. And, and just in case I looked it up and I could not find lead one another. It, it's just not one of these divine God thoughts. You see, everything... In my culture, in my Canadian culture, everything in my Scottish immigrant background informs me um, this is not where we want to be. Our people have been slaves for generations. Hopefully there's no one British in here. I love you guys. Just remember, I know there's some single guys here. There's no little girl's mother, right, who is hoping for a, a, a husband for her daughter who has no ambition. See, our, our, our mothers want to remind us constantly, um, you're better than that. You were made for more. You deserve to be the boss at least the supervisor, middle manager, aim for something. We'll just go to work for some slave driver. That's not even right. Um, Matthew chapter 2020. You know, this is, I love this because Mrs. Thunder, or maybe her name was Mrs. Zebedee, was just doing what any mother would do. Because guys, if you don't have ambition, your mother does. And Mrs. Thunder in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 20 went up to Jesus and said, Jesus, say it. Say that these two sons of mine will sit at your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom. Not asking that you make them king of the world, but, you know, somewhere like that pharaoh or general or president of the universe, something. You know, just say it. So, so it's just normal for us, and, and, and that should inform us that everything about our, our background is hostile to the gospel. Right? 
And, and secondly, this particular one another is so difficult because, and I don't think this ought to be a secret, but we are living in an inverted world where all light points to, oh, me, right? We, we live in the world where our young people uh, look at the world um, through the end of a selfie stick, right? <laughs> oh, look at the Grand Canyon. It looks like, oh, me. <laughs> Our friends, uh, we got a Facebook friend who's visiting right now the Canadian Rockies. You know how huge those mountains are? They're posting pictures on Facebook, and I will guarantee you, the Rocky Mountains looks like a big Chinese face. Taking, you can barely see the mountains. You see, I am in every view. In an inverted world, nobody deserves this kind of allegiance except me. You know, if you, if you don't uh, have an A-type personality, you have no ambition. If you don't have drive, you can't be Singaporean. What? You must be Kyasu or else you will lose. Right? John Milton's Paradise Lost has a certain character, Lucifer, who seems to echo the ambition of every human heart, including mine, when he says, here at last, here I am free. The Almighty will not drive me hence. Here we may reign secure. And in my mind, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. How did he capture my heart so perfectly? Even in seminary and church growth class, we are learned how to, learning how to climb that ministerial ladder. Don't stay more than two years in your first church, Ollie. I mean, Ian, that's what they told me. <laughs> just get something to juice the resume and then you'll be attractive to the church looking for experience because we would prefer experience over holiness we would rather have a heart of success than a heart of faithfulness because we've become cluttered in this kind of world nobody deserves this kind of allegiance but me so I read this statement serve one another a thousand times and it doesn't sink in because my culture has bent truth my culture is what informs me I can hear a word from the almighty and leave unchanged notice though if we as God's people would long for his pleasure and his power and his presence. There are three characteristics of this one particular one another will lead to that promised land. The first, we need to understand from verse 13 that serving one another is a powerful outcome of our freedom. It is a product of our freedom. Look again at verse 13. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. 
serve one another. You know, Paul is presenting this jarry oxymoron. You have been released. You are free to serve. Doulos is that person who is under bondage, working a debt off. It's not that they are slaves. They are slaves to their debt, and so they work until the debt is paid off. That's a doulos in Scripture. That's the term he's using. The verb form, serve one another. Pay off your debt to the gospel. Ananki was the powerful Greek deity of slavery. In fact, in Greek literature, she has often been called necessity because of the horrific recognition that economies thrive on the back of slavery. Ananki was also that ring of metal fastened around a slave's neck, chaining them to another slave and another slave and another slave or to a post. That neck ring was called ananki. And the amazing thing about that word ananki, you know, English is not really a language. It's a dialect that borrows from many different um, languages. And, and in English... We borrow from this Greek word, ananki, slavery, which literally meant to throttle or, or to choke or to press against. The word anger is built upon that word, ananki. The word anxiety, antagonistic, all those things we don't mind in other people, but we want to avoid ourselves, built on that word, ananki. The word angina built upon that word ananki. You see, ananki is that Monday morning pain in your chest, that angina, because Whoa, my boss is a slave driver, man. Ananki is that shock, anxiety, that, that panic when you arrive for that job interview and you see this queue of 10 people who look sharper than you and look hungrier than you. Ananki, it's that crushing against your soul. And ananki is that thing that bound me to my sin. This ringneck of slavery to my own flesh. Ananki. You see, there's nothing attractive about that except by the cross, Christ shattered that ring around my neck that enslaved me to my sin. He shattered the chains that attached me to my flesh. He did so. Why? So that I could replace the ring. The Greeks believed the slavery of all men was this way. There was no man, not even the emperor, who was free of Ananki. The emperor was a slave to his ambition. The soldier was a slave to his general. The rich man, a slave to his possessions. Many of us in Singapore have begun to demonstrate that we are enslaved to our possessions because our family's getting smaller and our houses are getting what? Bigger. 
Not because we have more children, but because we have so much stuff that we're enslaved to. Ananki is that bond of sin heavy on our throats, broken by the gospel and the cross of Christ. So you have been made free. Don't then enslave yourself again. In fact, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, he says this, Formerly, when you did not go know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature were not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to once be again? In verse 1 of chapter 5, he says again, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not again subject yourself to the ananke of slavery. The Apostle Paul had traded in his neck ring, the slavery to death and destruction earned by the sin of Saul the Pharisee, to the slavery of love and life. The God who is truth, who is peace, who is life. He had traded rings. That's why Jesus said, come to me all who are weak and heavy burdened. For my ananke is light. And I will give you rest. But second, this um, serve one another is an antidote, a certain antidote for my addictions. I know I'm skipping a verse. Look at verse 15 again. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The Apostle Paul begins this phrase with this little but powerful particle, this English word, if. Now, English language doesn't have this construct, but in Greek, this if, it is presented in the first class condition. That means what Paul is saying in this if, literally, if we want to translate it, is if you bite and devour one another, and you are, be careful or you will be consumed by one another. Did you notice there's not actually just one one another statement in here? There's more than one. And, and here's the problem with addiction. As I grew to be an adult, my, my parents were first generation believers. When they came to Christ, it was so shocking for my aunts and uncles. Our family was completely ostracized. They were disinherited because if you're Scottish, you are Presbyterian, buddy. Don't be going for that, whatever, American cult. What do they call it? Baptizers, Baptists, whatever. So I grew up as a child not really knowing my aunts and uncles, but I had stuff in me that constantly was wrecking me. And as I begun to be a young man, I, I got to know about my aunts and uncles, and for the first time in my life, I was confronted that in my sin DNA, there is addiction. And what I discovered, observing uncles and aunts die with alcohol-soaked livers, that I can never just stop addiction. I can't just say, okay, I'm done with addiction. What I've got to do is 
exchange my addiction. That's why it's not good enough for you to walk around and say, I've got to clean this hole because I am a dirty mess. If you don't fill it with something holy, that spirit who is in there making you a mess is going to go find friends who can't find a home, and he's going to bring the whole party back to your place. We can't just get rid of addiction. we got, we got to replace them. And what the Apostle Paul did with his addiction to self-righteousness is he changed that. And that's why he said, I can't live with it. All of my great resume I now consider worthless for the sake of trading that in for the righteousness of Christ. I count all things as lost for the surpassing glory of knowing him and sharing in his suffering. He was exchanging one addiction for a holy addiction. Um, so some of you who've been in all the question and answering questions, by the way, that's where you ask a question that's really a statement. <laughs> no, not accusing anybody, <laughs> but you'll hear it in a minute. <laughs> uh, you heard me say, I, I do not drink. I don't take even a sip at a toast at your wedding. It's not because I have some religious moray against drinking. It's because I have addictions, and it's got to be all Jesus, all Sherry, or I'm a mess. The Apostle Paul knew that all of us have this sin addiction. We caught it from our parents. We caught it from their parents and their parents and their parents and, and the first Adam it's, it's in our spiritual DNA. And every single day, I've got to replace that. This serve one another. Do you understand that if we get together, God's people or any people, there is going to be some one another's happening. We will either love one another or laugh at one another. We will either bless one another or bully one another. There is always going to be one another's happening. And the Apostle Paul said, serve one another. Be careful. If not, if you don't replace something, you will instead consume and devour one another. And this is the very thing that caused James, the first Christian pastor, to grieve when he wrote in James chapter 4, what, what is the cause of this conflict among you? Is it not your flesh that is waging war against your soul? One another is going to happen. But notice what empowered the apostle. It was not some discipleship seminar. It wasn't the seminary he went to. It was through love. Serve one another. Through love, speak the truth. You know how my culture in Canada bends truth? My culture informs me, listen, love means um, I love you so much, I am getting ready to tell you something horrible I see in you, and you need to straighten that out. This is speaking the truth in love. When Sherry birthed our firstborn, Leighton, and he tried to squeeze out of four centimeters for 25 hours so his head was shaped like a cone and one eye was actually up where his forehead should be. Sherry looked at him and wept saying, you are so beautiful. 
A mother's love automatically, fathers take a moment, and I was going, ooh. That is a little alien right there. <laughs> it took me a while to speak the truth through the ananke of love. But you, want, you want to hear the Apostle Paul say it even more clearly. He says this amazing statement. Uh, but we, when we're out of our minds, we are so for Christ. While we are in our right minds, it is for your sake. But Christ's love compels us. That word is captures us, holds on to us. I am arrested by Christ's love. That's why I don't eat meat. If there might be somebody who has just had an altar where the food was there. If, if I'm going to offend somebody, may I never eat meat again. Christ's love arrests me. Am I free? Yes, but Christ's love arrests me. This is a transformational thing for me. When I suddenly discover that I am not free to do whatever. When I was being a 10-year Jonah and trying to keep people like you away from asking me to do anything in church, I presented myself in a way that would be frightening for you to see. So no photographs. And in my indignation, I would say, if you religious people don't like these earrings, that's your problem. I'm free in Christ. If you don't like this hair, you're judgmental. I'm free in Christ. If you don't like black nail polish on men, you're just like everybody else. <laughs> but one day I grew up and suddenly Christ's love compelled me. And Sherry started to cut my hair. The last thing. See, the goal here is to preach all the way through the town hall. Uh, this one another, serve one another. It is the primary standard by which Christ is measured. Uh, do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 or 7? He said, do you think that I've come to obliterate the law? I have not. I've come to fulfill the law. And verse 14 is Jesus announcing the standard of the law. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here is Jesus announcing the standard of the law. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. Here is Jesus announcing his plan to fulfill the love. Greater love hath no man but that he laid down his life for his friends. And here is Jesus announcing the law satisfied. It is finished. What king has ever led like that? What pastor? What Rock star professional has ever said, Church, 
You are God's treasure, and for you, the under-shepherd is called to lay down his life, to pour himself out. Me serving you, let me be clear, me serving you is the primary standard by which Christ in me is measured. We serving each other is the primary standard by which Christ in GBC is measured, and us serving McPherson is the primary standard by which the neighbors will judge Christ in GBC. Do you understand this? Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 27, right after Mrs. Thunder had tried to um, push her boys who seemed to lack some ambition. You know they were on their way to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem was a cross waiting for Christ. And in the middle of that, the disciples weren't anxious, saying, now how must, how must we continue on the mission of the Savior? They were instead feeling all kinds of leadership indignation that their mothers weren't here. How come, you know, that mother has to come and push these guys? Why should they be in charge? We have better leadership potential. Simon's a political zealot. He's the Donald Trump of the bunch. We've got, you know, Judas who's great with money. You know, any one of us would be a better leader than these losers. The thing about Jesus is he can hear those thoughts. And so he said these verses in 25 and 27 of chapter 20, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Did you hear that? You want to be great? Be a servant. You want to be first? Be a slave. I noticed on the website and the ministry guide or bulletin, you have ambition to be a disciple-making church. I wonder what your gauge is on that. What, what is your measurement? How are you going to tell how you are doing at growing disciples deep in Jesus? I want to suggest to you it's probably not what you think. It's probably and should not be how many leaders do we have at GBC, but it should be how many GBC members are serving one another. That is the measure of Jesus in us. Because as Jesus gathered his disciples, this was in John 13, it's, it's really important that we understand what that means, that picture of the master kneeling and washing his students' feet. Already that is just a, a mind-bending, a, a, a culture-crushing image that any Asian teacher would kneel down and bow, qigong in front of his, what, students? That doesn't happen. So this is already an outrageous picture. It would not happen. It's, it's countercultural. 
No master would bow in front of his students, kneel and begin washing their feet. But listen, he, this mister is more than a master. Do you, do you understand? This is the one who, when he left heaven and pressed his glory into Palestinian flesh, all of heaven was suddenly bankrupt. This is the king of creation. Bowing before the flesh he created with his word. Washing their feet. And then he says to you and to me, for I have given you an example. Go and do likewise. It's, it's not an ordinance of the church. It's an example. So, so I know you're going to be thinking, I mean, I, is, is this Pastor Ian the, the guy? The question you should not be asking is how awesome is this guy? The question you should be Asking is how obvious is Jesus in this man? Do I see behaviors like this or do I see some guy that's just got ambition to be at a, a little bit bigger church or, or to grow this church in the biggest church in Singapore? Do I see that? Then reject this man. Because God, when he looked for a, a king for his people, chose a man with the resume of a shepherd. And the shepherd lives for the sheep. Now, now I know some of you, you, you know 1 Peter 5, right? So you're thinking, whoa, pastor, you step back a bit. You know, let's have some balance because what about 1 Pastor 5 for those of you who are elders? You know, exercise oversight. I want to crush you completely. But those two words, exercise oversight, do not exist in that verse. That's just Western interpreters trying to figure out what he means by shepherd the sheep. Because all that exists in verse 2 is shepherd the flock, blank, not with obligation, but willingly. It does not say shepherd the flock, exercise oversight. No, that's how they're trying to think, what does it mean? What does it mean? So they just extrapolate. It doesn't exist. Let's consider the full counsel of God, too. Uh, let's just agree that there was no role in the first century, no office in the church with more authority than the office of the apostle. Right? That's why some pastors today want to take on the title of apostle because that means I am the boss. There was no role in the New Testament that had more authority than that person who had spent time with Jesus, who had seen the resurrected Christ, than this apostle. And there was no church in the New Testament that was more interested in dynamic leadership than the first church of leadership that was in Corinth. And so the Apostle Paul specifically wrote them in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, identified himself as an apostle, and then said this word in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This is how you should regard us, apostles, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. 
Not as the army generals. Not as lords who will direct you. But as servants of Christ. And, and for those of you who are Bible scholars, here is the mind-bending, culture-crushing, flesh-rending truth of this word. It's not the word you think it is. He does not use the word doulos. He is not saying we're the ones who serve the master's table. He's not saying we're the ones who are building the master's house. The word he uses is not doulos. The word is huperetes. Which means nothing. <laughs> Except huperetes. We're the plunder of war. Huperetes. We're the captured foreigners. Chained to a bench. Rowing in darkness. Under a ship. The huperetes. Were the slaves of the doulos. Do you, you see, that's the measure of Christ. You ordinary brothers and sisters serve one another. Those of you who desire to be elders, huperetes. It's Christ's love that changed me to this bench. And I will row for the sake of the ones who walk free on top deck, smelling the fresh ocean air. But I myself, by the love of Christ, will row grateful for the honor of serving the almighty king of creation. I should have asked what time we're supposed to wind up. But I'm going to land this plane right now. Here, here's what's really grieved me. Sherry and I have been, um, this is either 34th or 35th year of ministry. We have never seen a church member leave a church upset because they didn't have opportunity to serve. But pastor, these people, I try to share my thoughts. They don't even pay attention, mom. If they don't want my leadership, I go to some other church and lead. Just this year, we've had three families leave our church in Vancouver because, pastor, if you don't want my leadership... I know lots of churches that would benefit from me. You know, I'm a lawyer. I know the law, you know. I've had a lot of traffic tickets. That didn't count. He left angry. Not because he couldn't serve. But because at 27 he expected to leave. With a family, gifted brother, passionate brother, our worship leader, was so upset. He is 49, and he should be able to direct the pastor and everybody else in the church because he's the top accountant in Vancouver. Don't put this on the internet. <laughs> I should be thinking more clearly. Here, here is 1 Samuel chapter 15. I think you're familiar with this story. I'm closing with this. Um, the people of Israel said, uh, we want a king just like all the other peoples. And so they chose a king like all the other peoples. You know, a head higher than everybody else. More handsome. You know, a really strong guy. And kind of like a sheep, only stronger. 
like a wolf. And chose Saul, right? And God said to Saul, I want you, I want you to go, go out on this mission. I, I want you to go conquer the Amalekites, you know, just slaughter all those cattle. Yeah, I, I don't want any of that. It's, it's filthy. Our people will mix with and they will begin to pick up the culture of those profane people who sacrifice their own children to the gods. Uh, that is an abomination to me. And you see, instead of imagining himself the servant of the Almighty, Saul imagined himself king. And so kings come up with better plans. Improve the great commission. So he decided, you know, what a waste, all these, you know, perfect animals. And, you know, the king of Amalek, you know, he might be a, you know, good partner in ministry sometime. He's got lots of connections. It's all about relationship. So he brought them all back, and Samuel met him. What have you done? And in his indignation, Saul became just like me. I have gone on a mission for the Lord, and the best of these things I have brought as a sacrifice to him. Do you remember the words of Samuel? Verse 22, he says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying him? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. So, this is a defining moment for God's people here, Grace. Right? Whether it be me or some other pastor, I pray you would not choose some messianic king to lead you on a great mission. But before you even make any decision, you decide, I want now in my life the kind of behavior that will pursue and be pursued by God's pleasure. Before you make any decision, this is the one. Serve one another. Because until you practice this, God's pleasure will forever be elusive. I don't care how many buildings you build. I don't matter. It doesn't matter if they put the MRT right at your front door until we pursue behaviors that are pleasing to the king of creation. Or just like those dry bones in Ezekiel's wilderness, rattling but no life. I pray that you will long for the next under-shepherd, the same thing you long for in your own life. One ambition, one ambition, God's glory. One plan, and that is to obey. Today, just today, decide, obey. And only one desire, to hear the master's, master's whisper just, well done good and faithful servant. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. I know we have a meal coming and uh, a town hall. But uh, I feel like this is a, a holy moment. 
Not because an Anglican chapel here is here, not because there's an Anglican school, not because missionaries have, have trod and trod upon this ground, but, but simply because uh, God is here. And when God is present and His Word has been preached, we, we need to respond somehow. And honestly, I know what's happening right now. You're preparing your cultural defenses. Your culture is informing you. It's probably easy for Matsali, not so easy for us. Your, your, your culture is informing you. Uh, just listen, act like you're paying attention. You give your offering. Um, you're doing the best you can. Or some of you are like Saul. You've been on a great mission. You've made a great sacrifice. Ooh, who knows how much you've already given? Can you possibly imagine that God favors your sacrifice more than he favors your obedience? Do you honestly believe the king of the universe needs anything this Canadian boy can give him. I got nothing less. My culture is exhausted. My energy is waning. But I got one thing. Obedience. I just want to ask you, while we sit here in this holy moment, while God is near would you in your heart just cry out to him would you not just say God empower me so capture me with Christ's love that I would longingly serve these my brothers and sisters joyfully Serve them. Would you say, Jesus, rise up in me and be obvious? Because, friends, we cannot be his ambassador if we desire to rule instead of serve. And ask your, yourself this really, really practical question How am I modeling this behavior? For someone else to see. Because you're a church, just like my church in Vancouver. We have an older founding generation and this whole new group of young, upwardly mobile Asians. And the old people have sacrificed so much. And because of our Western style of discipleship, we have led the young people to believe you. All you have to do is know the same stuff we know, and then you're a mature disciple. And so now these young professionals in Vancouver are going, what's up? Seriously, we know stuff. In fact, we know more than you. They got so many degrees, they take an MDiv on the side just for fun. And they want to know why these German immigrants with no high school, think they know more. You see, the standard of maturity is not the doctorate that my intellect earned. It's my Jesus who is obvious 
in my service. Young people, I'm just asking you, are you ready? Are you ready to let love so throttle you that you will serve GBC for no good reason except God's pleasure? And those of you who are older, you have been serving so long. Are you willing to stop saying, don't look at me, look to Jesus and realize they need to see Jesus in you? Because Christian leaders go first and then say with the Apostle Paul, imitate this as I imitate Jesus. So if you're older, would you be willing to say, I'm willing to serve out loud and go first and go alone and set a course that the younger ones can easily walk in Father God, we thank you that even our quiet anxieties you hear. We're grateful that even when we don't know how to pray, your Holy Spirit intercepts our mumbling, fumbling, stuttering prayers with groaning too deep for words and interprets it with a kind of passion and longing that you deserve and that you respond to. So God, you've heard our prayers. We need to be captured more by the love of Christ. Joyfully chained to that bench. Hands on the oars. Serving one another. And I pray for those who serve as elders and as deacons. I I pray that they would embrace this role. Slaves to the servants. And that the servants would embrace their role of serving joyfully one another. For the sake of your pleasure. With one ambition and that's your glory. God I pray that you would see these behaviors in us beginning this moment. And then we would have the confidence No matter which way we choose, no matter our decision, your pleasure would pursue us and overtake us. And so, God, we invite you not to just teach your church. Transform your people so that we might be used by your power to transform our nation and the world. Do this, we pray, for your name's sake and in the powerful, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Let us just rise as we respond in this song. It's Christ who is our servant king.